Hello, this is Dennis Sanders. And on episode 130 of Church in May, we'll be talking about He Gets Us and the Asbury Revival. Church in Maine, the podcast that is at the intersection of faith and modern life. We are a podcast on religion and public affairs, and I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. So today's episode is a rather, a kind of a special one. Um, the guest today is um, on for the second time. It's Lauren Richmond, Jr. He is a uh, pastor uh, in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. He is also the host of the uh, Future Christian Podcast. Um, and is an associate pastor of a, a United Methodist congregation in Denver. And he came on the podcast um, really because both of us wanted to talk about uh, two events that have been, that took place recently and um, kind of the reaction that mainline and progressive Christians have had. Uh and those two events are the He Gets Us uh, camp, uh, advertising campaign. If you uh, probably have already heard of them, uh, these uh, commercials have actually been airing probably for about a year. You can see them on YouTube, and I will definitely uh, include a link in the description. Uh, but two of the ads um, appeared in the Super Bowl. Um the whole point of the of the campaign is, I think, really well. Let me put it in the uh, words of the people who actually um, headed up the campaign, and they basically, I think, it was trying to get people to see Jesus in a different way. Um, and this is actually what I found on the website. The website says that He Gets Us is a movement to reintroduce people to the Jesus of the Bible and his confounding love and forgiveness. And if you've seen the commercials, they're pretty slick. Um, Most of them are in black and white. They're relating to Jesus in some way, but they're kind of almost like an Apple commercial. If you've watched sometimes Apple commercials, they're good at telling a story. They're not necessarily automatically selling you the product. Um, and obviously the people behind, um, he gets us is kind of doing the same thing. Um, but they actually have a purpose of what they're trying to do. Um, this is also from the website and it says here that we're also about sharing Jesus openness to people, uh, that others might have excluded. Um, And though you may see religious people as often hypocritical or judgmental, know that Jesus saw that too and didn't like it either. Instead, Jesus taught and offered radical compassion and stood up for the marginalized. So this is kind of what they're at. One of the things that um, has um, given people a lot of question is who is funding it. Um, Turns out uh, one, at least one of the funders is someone associated 
basically it's a family that owns Hobby Lobby. Someone in that family um, it has supported it. Um, people who um, maybe have more, I guess I would say conservative views when it comes to LGBTQ um, issues and rights. And that has set off a firestorm, but that is only one firestorm. There is another one around the same time, a few days actually before the Super Bowl ads aired. Uh, there was also um, the, um, the case of the Asbury revival. Um, and that has kind of caused a lot of stirring and a lot of, and, and um, a lot of kind of anger really on, uh, for both of these events um, with, he gets us, everyone is very angry and point and says that no matter what the message, it's just not worth it. Um, when it comes to the Asbury revival, it's simply that, well, it's emotionalism or they're not actually, there's no social justice here. Um, and unless they, you know, support protecting queer kids, that this is not worth it. Um, the reactions to both of these events bothered both Lauren and I. And so we came together um, to talk about it. And so this is kind of our discussion about this issue, about these issues, um, why it bothers us. Um, and both of us come from either evangelical and or fundamentalist backgrounds. So, you know, we understand the, the, the drawbacks, but we also understand some of the importance too. And so, um, especially if you're someone that may have are skeptical of either event, I hope that you listen. Um, you may not agree with what we have to say. You may not agree with our viewpoint, but I think you need to listen uh, because we are probably not the only people in mainline progressive circles that feel the way that we feel. So um, I will, um, without that, let's go into the discussion and um, I will include some links um, to the He Gets Us campaign and some other things um, for you to look at. But for now, let's hear this discussion that I have with Lauren Richmond Jr. Okay, Lauren, uh, I'm ready to, let's do some talking about revival and uh, commercials here. Let's do it. Do it. So um, there have been kind of two events that have happened almost simultaneously yeah. um, that has stirred some reaction among kind of what we, um, I guess, our camp from mainline and slash progressive Christians, mm -hmm. um, the He Gets Us commercials. Right. Which actually have been out for a while, but they retain got more prominence um, because right. of the role. And then um, the revival taking place at Asbury University that started uh, last week, actually about a week ago today. Um, mm -hmm. And as far as I know, it's been ongoing. Um, it has generated a lot of um, 
interest, uh, both positive and negative. Yeah. Uh, but kind of want to focus a little bit about both of these um, events and how, especially mainline Protestants and progressive Christians are looking at this. And um, kind of the initial thought is they don't seem to, I won't say everyone, there are some people that think it's really a good thing, but there's a lot of really, hate is too strong a word, but I think we talked about this earlier, disdain Mm -hmm. for both of these. Um, Let's actually look at first at the He Gets Us one. Um, these are commercials that are kind of black and white. They do uh, on various topics. Um, and I think it was maybe a few months ago that they found out one of the, the funders is uh, from the family that owns Hobby Lobby. Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems to have set up a whole kind of controversy there. Right. <laughs> What do you think of the commercials first? And then what do you think is going on with the backlash? Yeah. So two parts here to your question. I'll start with just kind of the pure marketing aspect of it. Like this is, again, my opinion from someone who has some level of business marketing training. I have an MBA and I've done some marketing um some marketing work and training myself from a marketing perspective, it's really good. And I'll try not to gush too much over their marketing. Um, So like me, I think we both have listened to interviews with the guy in charge of the marketing or probably Mm -hmm. someone's, you know, if not the same person, someone, you know, on the team perhaps. And the thing that stood out to me in the podcast I listened to, he is that they said that they were really clear on, what they call the problem statement or the problem they were trying to solve. And I think that's what's, I think that's a key aspect of marketing or storytelling or making a compelling pitch is being really clear on what the problem you're trying to solve is. And for them, again, this kind of gets to the broader topic, Dennis, is they're saying that the problem they're trying to solve is that Christianity writ large is seen as a hate group. Mm-hmm. Um, so they want to say like, Hey, our, our faith that we take seriously is seen as a hate group or seen as irrelevant or seen as judgmental. How do we, how do we, how do we solve that problem and say that Jesus is not, you know, a hateful person is actually a loving person who quote unquote gets us. And I, as I heard the conversation, they talked through kind of some, I guess they worked with, or I guess they had something like 15 pitches proposals of companies who, who pitch them different kind of marketing themes or campaigns proposals. Mm-hmm. And, and this one he gets us was the one that stood out to them the most. And again, from a storytelling perspective, I think it's, I think it's very good. Um, so I think, you know, and, and it's interesting. One of the critiques that the, this marketing gentleman shared was that from conservative pastors, they're saying something like, oh, you're not giving them the message of the gospel. You're not telling them a story. You're not asking for repentance, let's say, again, using some conservative language. Mm -hmm. And and this guy was saying that the point, and again, this is a a really good 
thing to highlight from my perspective, at least about marketing is you're not the, the commercial is not doing too much. It's saying it's giving them a hook, which again, I think great storytelling or marketing has a hook. So it's mm-hmm. got a hook like those, those uh, provocative black and white pictures and the copy, the words are the hook. And then it mm-hmm. says, go to get us.com. So it's got a great hook. It's not trying to do too much. Um, it reminds me of, I was just gonna say, it reminds me of some commercials that Apple has done in the past where they don't really try to sell. They're not selling a MacBook. They're not selling an iPhone. Right. It's a hook that is trying to get you basically into telling into their story. Really? Right. 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 Which again, I'm big into story brand marketing, which is actually company. And that's kind of their big thing is like getting the customer like into your story and convincing them that their story is your story, which again, that's ex- I would say that's exactly what he gets us. The campaign is doing like, they're trying to say, Hey, you know, you deal with political unrest and mental illness and whatever those themes have been like Jesus dealt with those challenges he gets mm-hmm. us like it's very good it's very good uh, from a marketing and storytelling perspective um the second part of your question was has to do with remind me i've been talking too much here the funders or or kind of the how it's seen in the yeah the, you know, the, the controversial surrounding the funder one of the funders i should say it's not the funder but a funder So, yeah, the second question that I uh, think we were talking about was obviously one of the the controversy about the funders. Um, Yeah. Kind of people were starting to ask, well, who's behind all of this? And one of the funders, not all and not the only one, is this guy who is part of the family that owns Hobby Lobby. Um, So... I've been thinking a lot about this and I understand for sure the, the angst around the funder, um, you know, the Hobby Lobby folks have supported some efforts that I certainly don't agree with and think mm-hmm. are, um, not in, not in what, what, what am I trying to say? I don't think align with what I believe the the message of Jesus and the gospel to be. That being said, um, maybe this is my own conservative roots playing out here or being revealed, but I immediately thought about like scripture and some verses from the Bible that I would hear is one, the the classic God's word won't return void. Mm -hmm. That's from Isaiah. Uh, and then two, I'm reminded of a story in, I think it's in Luke, where the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, these other people are throwing out demons, like, in your name. I, I, I may be misremembering parts of it, but the gist is, yeah. the disciples mm-hmm. say, other people are doing this good work. And Jesus is like, no, we're not going to tell them to stop if they're not, you know, if they're not against us, they're for us, essentially. Like mm-hmm. the disciples want to be like, you have to do things. These people need to do things our exact way or else they're, they're against us. And Jesus is saying, no, that's, they're doing good work. Leave them alone. 
Um, so that's kind of what came to mind. And, I, and I've kind of been perplexed, to be honest, Dennis. And maybe this is bleeding into like the, like the Asbury thing. So I don't know if you want to put a pin on this for now, but even in some conversations I've been engaging in on Twitter regarding like the Asbury thing, folks are saying like, why do people think that, you know, revival in heaven or heaven is just about worshiping God all day. And I, and I, and I commented like, it's because like the book of revelation, that's what's in the book of revelation. And I understand like, that's not necessarily meant to be a literal. Um, there may be some metaphor and, and what have you in that text. But again, my concern, Dennis, and maybe I'm sounding too much like a conservative, I don't know, is <laughs> like if we're, if the scripture is not going to be at least a, an essential element of our kind of faith foundation, mm-hmm. we're kind of just going on to whatever from my perspective, at least whatever, like our hot take opinion is of the day about like what our kind of our foundational uh, boundaries or, um, you know, fair or foul should be. So I, I don't know how that sounds to you or what your perspectives are on those issues. Well, you know, and one of the things I found interesting and people will say have gone into well this this foundation and they've done this this anti LGBTQ and all of this right. and I get it I I totally get it and I I always think you should look at some things with I think you should always be somewhat eyes open and mm-hmm. maybe to have a healthy skepticism that's that I think is is okay I, I get right. that. What I see, especially from He Gets Us, and, and I think it bleeds into Asbury, especially in progressive circles, is not really skepticism, but cynicism. Yeah. It's that that yeah. sense that this is all bad and, you know, we should not have anything to do with it. And, well, they don't really even care about the poor because, you know, right. they're spending all this money, millions, and they should be spending it on the poor, which is funny because I could also say that about any other corporation or right. group that and advertised in the Super Bowl could do the same I thing. Can, if I can jump in there, Dennis, like I told you this already, like that's classic what about ism. Yeah. And what about ism, the most common example I can think of is kind of goes back to like USSR and America during the Cold War, where America politicians would come to. USSR folks and be like, Hey, there's all this happening. You all are doing wrong. And then they just come back and be like, Oh, what about slavery? Or what about, I don't know what these elements were, but it's kind of this, this, they, they defer, they'd avoid the the issue by kind of what abouting. So like we've both seen this just a muck amongst progressives. It's like, Oh, what about spending money on the poor? What about, you know, using that money elsewhere? And, and frankly, again here, Dennis, like we have a biblical example of Jesus and Judas. I yeah, I knew you were gonna get get to that one. <laughs> uh, but then B, like like you said, Dennis, even more so, like you could what about any single church, any single pastor, any single progressive leader? Like, what about I mean, one critique I saw from a progressive pastor, like they spent some money in the last few years redoing their sanctuary, like what about spending that money for the poor? They redid their sign. What about spending that 
money for the poor. I mean, there's, it's just a slippery slope of whataboutism. Mm-hmm. That's why it's just not a, it's a logical fallacy because you can what about forever. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when it's not your resources, right? Yeah. You know, I, it, there was a few years ago, um, well, now it's now 20 years ago, uh, the United Church of Christ actually came out with a series of commercials. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I remember those and they were, they got a lot of play. Funny that I'd never heard anyone's really complain about those, at least within mm-hmm. progressive circles. I mean, they were basically doing the same thing. And is it, you know, it seems to me that the problem isn't that it's the message as much as they don't like or are fearful of the messenger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, you've talked about some scriptures and I think of somewhere in, in one of Paul's letters, he talks about people who are, are maybe spreading the gospel, but not necessarily in the right way or, or in a way right. that is right. self-serving, but he doesn't, he's, he doesn't kind of, it doesn't bother him because he knows at least that, that Christ is still being preached. Right. And I think that that's really, to me, with the, he gets us thing is that, it's it's getting a message out there that may hopefully can foster conversation. Yeah. Um, it's not trying to beat you over the head. It's right. trying to get people to think. Right. And I don't see I don't see what the problem is with that. If if it's getting people to think a little bit more deeply on spiritual matters, um, and maybe to relate their life right. to Jesus. I don't understand what the problem is. And Dennis, I imagine you'd feel similarly, but I believe in the, the power of the story of Jesus in the gospel to subvert expectations, mm-hmm. limitations, restrictions, ideology. Um, again, this, this podcast I was listening to with the one of the marketing heads he said, oh, my relative who's been antagonistic toward me because of my faith saw these ads and said, I didn't know Jesus was woke. Again, mm-hmm. that's a, they used the word, I didn't know Jesus was woke. Um, so this, the head marketing said this relative is now you know, doing some scripture reading plans, which again, that's a positive, I think. You're, it's Obviously, we all bring, we know this from our hermeneutical lessons, we all bring up some level of interpretive bias. But I think going directly to, encouraging people to go directly towards, you know, the stories of Jesus, the Gospels, like, that's a good thing. Um, so again, I'm like, yeah, and from a real practical standpoint, like, Progressive churches could have gone on to hegetsus.com and registered as a church in locales for people to be filtered to. Like that would have been an option. It probably still is an option. I, yes. I mean, I, I thought about that too as I was looking at the website. It's like, hmm, maybe yeah. this is something we want to think about. And it could use a right. diverse voices. I mean, you know, I think one of the things that I'm I wonder about the whole thing is 
does it say something about progressive churches that are we not good at telling a story? Yeah. Have we lost the art of storytelling? Yeah. Because I think that there is something to that. I don't think we are good about that. I don't, maybe that's just me, but I think there is something there that we just, I think I feel like we lost the plot. Dennis, I've been thinking about this again, because I'm kind of into marketing. I think broadly speaking, progressive churches, the story they tell, the story we tell is about their building Mm-hmm. about their history or about our progressiveness. Mm-hmm. And frankly, sadly, no one cares about history. Unless you're a real architectural nerd, you don't care about the building. And by and large, unless you're really like progressive yourself, you don't care about a church's progressiveness. No. And I think that that's something that bothers me too. I I think a while back, I kind of, every so often I kind of toy with TikTok and Mm -hmm. decided one day just to, one of the hashtags people suggested looking on is like progressive clergy. Right. And I went there and was like, wow. Okay. It's all kind of hot takes, right? It is. It's all hot takes. It's all how we're not conservatives. Mm-hmm. Um, how we're not, you know, you know, we love gay people that that's pretty, I, and you know, as, as someone who is gay, that's great. But, but I feel like there was, everything was about how progressive we are. It mm-hmm. wasn't about who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's important too. In fact, that's probably more important that the whole, especially like open and affirming coming from that standpoint that's important, but I've always wanted to say, what are we open and affirming for? How, what, mm-hmm. what, is, what does it mean that we're inclusive? What are we being inclusive for? Because if we're just yeah. inclusive for the sake of being inclusive, I don't think that means anything. I think there are lots of places where people can go that are inclusive. I mean, yeah, I mean, where people find community these days essentially is what by promoting by church promoting themselves as open and affirming or inclusive you know they're essentially promoting themselves as an open community which again people can find an open and affirming community many places mm-hmm. you know uh, CrossFit mm-hmm. you know they're a book club I mean the 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 opportunities are endless almost. And I'm all for community. But again, if that's kind of all we're selling, so to speak, like there's not, there's not much that's exclusive mm-hmm. about our community. And again, this is, forgive me, uh, a sales or marketing term, like for something to be compelling, there has to be some kind of exclusivity or elusiveness to it for it to be compelling. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly, uh, open-ended in my interpretations of the gospel as far as it being for all people and God's love welcoming all. Um, so, you know, there's, it's not a perfect correlation that being said, 
But I think I think Christianity has a niche to again use a marketing term in that you know we're not just offering an open and affirming community. We're offering like something that feeds your soul, mm-hmm. speaks to your if I can use these words, eternal destiny, um, ultimate purpose, whatever kind of language you want to use. Um, and to me, that at least that's a compelling, it's a more compelling story than, hey, we're an inclusive community where you can, you know, you can be accepted for who you are, which again is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I tend to see things like open and affirming as a, it, it's the doorway, it's the thing that can mm-hmm. get you in. Right. What's going to keep you there? The keep you right. there is, is to have really to enter into a relationship with God, um, right? And and through through Jesus Christ, that's what yeah. keeps you there. Because you know, my congregation for a long time, and I still believe this, and it's an open and affirming congregation, but that's not necessarily going to be bringing people. That's not bringing people in. Yeah, um, I think what brings people in, or at least gets them to stay, is that commu- sense of that we are coming in, we're worshiping, that we believe in a God that loves us mm-hmm. um, and cares for us, and um, that we can enter into this relationship with with Jesus. It's not mm-hmm. just simply, "Hi, we're open and affirming. Or look right. how progressive we are." Well, yeah. you know, great. I'll I'll give money to the you know the ACLU instead. You know, you don't right. need to give money to the church to Certainly show off progressiveness. <laughs> yeah. Certainly more efficient and effective in their <laughs> monetary use, probably. So let's move on to the um the Asbury revival. Yeah. And okay, and for that one, Asbury is a university and seminary in Kentucky. Um, Kentucky is an interesting place when it comes to the word revival because that yeah. has been seemed to yeah. be a, a seedbed right. for kind of past revivals um, in American history, the Second Great Awakening, um, the the tradition that we both share, the, the Christ, uh, Christian Church Disciples of Christ and the mm-hmm. Stone Campbell movement, kind of came out of that. Cane Ridge is actually which is kind of the birthplace of of um, Stone Campbell tradition is not too far from Asbury. Mm-hmm. Um, that has been, and, and so, you know, the background from that is that, that that started, it was a kind of a weekday chapel service that started and basically hasn't ended. Um, it has continued and um, it seems to be actually now gone viral and that people are coming in. But that has also uh, brought in some criticism, um, and I've, you, I think, have know a little bit more. I haven't seen as much about Asbury, um, but kind of take us in what you've been seeing online. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a similar, like, it's a similar type. Well, this isn't true revival unless it's like, for instance, this morning I saw true revival would be. You know, confessing of whiteness and um, dismantling systems of oppression and those kind of real strong social justice you know, efforts. And again, I want to I want to give credence to that's not the right word, but I want to make space for the fact that, like, certainly I think we'd agree on this, Dennis, like 
certainly throughout scripture and frankly throughout the history of probably Christianity, there's been this kind of tug and pull between like what is true true to the ways of God. Is it sacrifice or is it mercy? You know, is mm-hmm. it worship or is it acts of justice? Like I think we'd we'd probably both agree like there's been this tension throughout this whatever words we want to use, the story of God about what does God require? What is God's ultimate kind of want? Is it worship or is it acts of mercy and justice? I I believe it's it's a both and situation. And perhaps you might ask me, depending on the day of the week you'd ask me, is what I'd say <laughs> is more important. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I, I don't. I, and and Dennis, this this gets this gets to something we were talking about offline. Is for those who aren't familiar with me, I grew up fundamentalist Baptist, very conservative, um, to such that like, you know we kind of looked on folks like Steve Green, if if folks might perhaps remember mm-hmm. that name, Jerry Falwell, certainly people remember has his name. We kind of looked at, at folks like that with like scorn or disdain, and maybe that's too strong a word, but basically like they weren't doing it the right way. And my God, if there's not like someone more in cahoots with fundamental baptism, it's like Jerry Falwell, you know, wow, he's Jerry on the same Falwell's team. too liberal. That's, that's kind of, right. Wow. You know, so when I see that similar kind of like attitudes, I'm just like, what world am I living in here, Dennis? Like, I thought I left fundamentalism. And again, I understand like the whole like progressive Christianity is now the new fundamentalism. That's again overplayed. That being said, I think any movement or people need to be open and, and honest with another and constantly self-critiquing and say, like, are there aspects of our movement or beliefs that can have fundamentalist leanings and i think yeah because if we're if we're just looking with scorn upon what's happening on asbury and being like that's not the ways of i mean who are we to judge my goodness i don't know i'm really like that has really shooken me um you know for the past year two years i've been kind of like boy do i really want to be a progressive labeled myself as a progressive Christian, if this is the kind of like scorn and disdain we're going to have for anyone who's doing it a different way than us, you know, again, thinking back to my childhood and my youth, um, and these latest examples are just like, wow, like what, what world am I living in here? You know? Why do you think, well, I think I wonder, do you think that there is a sense of either suspicion about emotionalism or is it, you know, does, I don't know, socioeconomic background have anything to do with it? Does, I mean, what is it that makes people immediately just kind of dismiss it out of hand instead of maybe... Maybe not necessarily they're going to say it's wonderful, but at least have some 
be open to what might be happening or at least to listen or to um, kind of test it out before they, they make such a judgment. Um, I think some of what you mentioned already could very well be some of it. From my perspective, I sort of wonder if, um, gosh, what was I going to say? From my perspective, I think there's kind of this, you know how in evangelicalism, there can kind of be this, like, I wouldn't say prosperity gospel from like the traditional thought of the word, but there's kind of this, what I call a prosperity theology in that like, oh, stuff is working. It just means God's behind it, right? Mm-hmm. Like an evangelical church is growing, like 200 people come new to a, to a service and they're like, God's blessing this. And then really like, maybe it's just because we're doing like a football jersey giveaway on Super Bowl Sunday. Like, is it really God behind it? Or is it just like people want a football jersey type thing? You know, like is great marketing always God? I don't know. So I think there can be this kind of like prosperity theology and evangelicalism where it's like everything that is working is because God is blessing it. Mm-hmm. Conversely, I think there can be in especially mainline contexts from my perspective, Dennis, there can be this like, it's kind of like we're like the the chosen, what's the word? We're like the chosen relic or um, we're like the chosen few. I can't think of the word I'm, I'm looking for exactly, but I think the you remnant. get one. Right. We're the, the, the chosen remnant. Thank you. We're like, we're the true holy ones and, you know, our suffering, our decline, our lack of relevancy, that speaks to like how holy and pure and like right we are. Because again, this was certainly an element of my kind of like fundamentalist upbringing was like, well, people don't like us because we're true to the gospel and you know, we're speaking the truth. Again, this is exactly what I would have heard, you know, in the nineties, as a fundamental Baptist, like, you know, we're just speaking truth to, they wouldn't use the word truth to power, but they'd be, you know, we're speaking the truth of God's word to the culturally powerful, you know, people don't like us because we're, we believe the gospel. I mean, the, again, change the words only slightly and you have almost exactly what you're hearing today. Mm-hmm. So I could be wrong on that, but that's kind of, again, my perspectives on it. And, you know, one of the things that I saw, cause I, I there was a, I think we both saw some, it was a pastor that has a Substack, and, who was very dismissive of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And when I, I just simply asked a question on Twitter, then what is revival? Mm-hmm. And he responded with the the verse from Isaiah that Jesus later, later says in Luke about, um, you know, proclaiming liberty to the captives. Right. Right. Um, all of that, which I think, you know, that, that can be, and I think though know, there has been some, I think honest critique, Mm-hmm. that revivals can lead to social reform. Right. Um, the funny thing is, I, I think his answer almost cut off the, the revival part and just made it sound like social reform is revival. Yeah. Um, which, it, to me, feels like you're putting the cart before the horse. Yeah. Um, and then it feels like then it strips any of the the spirituality of from social reform and Mm -hmm. 
I think a lot of social reform from civil rights, um, especially care for the poor. And I especially see that, you know, in movements like the Salvation Army, mm-hmm. there was a spirituality that came from that. Right. It, it just didn't, you just didn't have social reform coming out of nowhere. Yeah. And it feels like sometimes people want to just say that social reform is a revival and that should be the fruit of revival, not, I don't know. That, that's kind of where I, I feel like I'm, I, yeah. I come from. I mean, that. again, I don't know. I'm not certainly an expert in revivalist movements, you know, or in the, the great awakenings in our nation's history. But again, I just, I don't know, Dennis. And again, I could be wrong on this, but I, I just feel like, who are we to judge? Like, we don't know what's happening. We don't know what could be coming. I mean, again, maybe there could be once the <coughs> this endless worship service ends at Asbury, maybe folks are really rallied to think like, boy, like, what is God calling us to do? And and, and maybe they're like, hey, God is calling us to to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. And again, from my perspective, Dennis, it just it really, I hate, this is a strong word, I hate to use it, but it really triggers in me like this, like, boy, I've been here. I've been there. Mm -hmm. I've been there. It was, you know, how old am I, you know, 30 years ago, 15, 25 years ago, um, of this just like outright, mockery and judgmentalism of anything that looked different than what the exact thing that we and that we I use is, you know, my fundamentalist, fundamentalist Baptist Christian in my youth, but anything that we didn't hundred percent align and agree with. Hmm. So may, so, you know, so maybe that's just, just my own undealt with stuff and trauma, but, I do wonder if there's stuff to, to be wary of and take note of, broadly speaking. One of the things that I've been thinking about, it was actually from another podcast, but it was, it was dealing with a different subject, but they used this, and this will sound familiar because we've both been reading um, Andy Root, mm-hmm. um, is about kind of, Imminent, imminence and transcendence. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially the Asbury event, but I even would say he gets us, has this too, are really kind of dealing with transcendence, mm-hmm. dealing with something that is, is not material, is kind of outside of yeah. our normal experience. Right. You know, that he gets us when I think is asking, trying to hopefully help people ask some deeper questions about their meaning and, and all of that. And that the temptation, well, it's not the temptation, the, the, the thing that we live in today is very much in imminence, or I think mm-hmm. as um, mm-hmm. Andrew Root will say, imminent frame. And we can't escape that that's kind of there but the question is do we have um are we able to let some transcendent 
moments in. And I wonder if, especially in progressive circles, we only see God in imminent, kind of in an imminent frame, which in some ways that means we don't really see God as much. Or or, I don't know. I mean, do you see where I'm getting at? You're blowing my mind here. Yeah, that's a great observation. I think it, I think it's resonating with something, you know, that I've sort of kind of been like, has been kind of like stirring within me or, or percolating within me, perhaps of like, you know, like I sort of wonder. Again, this is from like a progressive. And again, this is a bit of a straw man, perhaps a progressive Christianity. It's kind of the sense of like, you know, if like, would we kind of pack up our bags if like, you know, every kind of like, um, progressive economic, like, um, effort was instituted, like, you know, universal wages or, or fair wages, universal income, universal basic income, you know, um, all these kind of like progressive economic inequality like uh, efforts, if those became implemented tomorrow, like would progressive Christian churches still have a reason for existing? Like if 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 oppression and exploitation, and um, if you know racism, if those like ended tomorrow and we lived in a utopian society. Would we still have, would progressive Christianity writ large still have a reason to come together and worship on Sunday mornings, for instance? Hmm. Um, like, I don't know. I don't know if they would, they, and I, I hate to separate myself because I'm certainly in that camp. I believe that, like, there still would be a reason for worship and I guess what I'm getting at is I think that transcendence, God's transcendence leaves something to still be in awe of or to worship. Um, so I don't know. I, it, it is a, hopefully what I'm saying is making sense here, but I, yeah, but it I, is. I, I've been, a, you know, wondering of late, like thinking like, do again, a, a kind of a straw man here. Like, but do progressives, do we really like, do we really believe in the church, like universal as God's, again, this is my interpretation of scripture as God's avenue for redeeming the world. And I, I do, I still believe mm-hmm. that, you know, so I'm not like, Oh, the church is going to collapse. And, you know, I'm not going to like limit God and say that, God can only do something through the church, but based on my reading of scripture, like it seems like that's God's plan A to say it. So I don't, I don't know. I, I do think there's this, that's really interesting. You you tie to imminence and transcendence for sure. Well, because I think that there is this, I think especially I, I notice this a lot, even before all of these events came out, mm-hmm. um, how much people will talk about 
that God, you know, really cares about caring for the poor more than kind of worship. Mm-hmm. And I get what they're getting at. And I get, you know, I, you know, the, the old Testament prophets who kind of condemned the right. worship, but that worship was false worship. It was kind of, they were doing everything that looked good, but it wasn't real because it wasn't the fruit really wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And I think, but, but I think we, we've taken that as an excuse to say that that doesn't matter. That those yeah. issues, those moments of transcendence, right? Um, that kind of sense of openness to the spirit working thing, you know, the things that are, are, are not material, the things that are, right. We just don't, we, we have said that they don't matter. Um, and I have not read as much Marxism or anything, but you know, it's kind of the Marxist, I guess, analysis about materialism, that basically everything that matters is what you see. Um, and I think that has had a lot of hold in progressive Christian circles. And so basically it feels like then faith is, is more about these certain positions that we have. Yeah. But it isn't about the questions, the meaning that I think people struggle with or, 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 or dealing with. And, and so I think you see yeah. that here with what's happening is that, we see this kind of emotionalism that's happening and we think, well, you know, there are those crazy people again and, you know, the, and, and they won't do anything to change the world. Um, this is, and so we, you know, because we don't get it, we don't, right. it's not something that we can, we can see or process or whatever. This is something I'm really passionate about Dennis. So, um, you kind of you keep hitting me stuff I'm passionate about, so maybe you have a maybe I'm a good guest today. Hopefully, um, from my perspective, at least, it feels like mainline Christianity has sort of writ, written off white suburban America as like we're not interested, we're not going to get them. And again, that's again a broad brush. But I, for one of my real hearts, when I was doing new church in the suburban context was again, middle-class white suburbanites right or wrong. Okay. We could even say they should do better, but they're not going to care about um, like the, their front burner issues aren't, you know, whatever progressive causes like, my heart was if we can tell them, like, I see you struggling with your family and your kids and your relationship and your finances. Like, I see you. I hear how that's hard. And I support you in that. God sees you. God loves you. God's with you in that. And then say, now, our job, our task, our calling as followers of Jesus is to say, like, now God calls us to see these other people too. But I believe that if we can't like 
recognize, see where people are struggling and say, Hey, I see you. I see you. Let's, I mean, let's be honest, Dennis. Like, I don't know what stuff's like in Minnesota, but man, in the Denver Metro, like stuff is ungodly expensive. Mm-hmm. Like right now, like it's just ridiculous. And if we can't say, Hey, like I see you struggling with your, your mortgage or your rent or your car payment or whatever. It's a, Hey, I see you. I know that's real. But also, like, can you see these these other issues? Can you see like people of color being exploited by, you know, oppressed by police? Can you see like mistreatment of immigrants? Like, can you can you I see you here now? Can you see? And again, I think this is an aspect of discipleship. I see you here. Can you now see these other issues? Not just because that's a so social justice or a woke thing to do, but because that's what the gospel of Jesus asks us to do is to mm-hmm. see the other person. Um, and I think it gets back to what you said, Dennis is like, we're not just going to walk up to some middle-class white suburban person who's like, again, trying to pay their mortgage bill and shuffling kids between school and work and, you know, trying to keep their marriage or relationships afloat and tell them, well, you've got to care about police reform. You've got to care about migration issues. Like, should they? Do I believe that that's a more faithful reading of the Gospels to care about these issues? Absolutely. But I think the reality is like, they're like, like, man, I'm barely, they're going to, they feel like they're barely getting by as it is. Um. So I, I just like, that's, that's been my heart for a long time is like, let's see people where they're at. And then disciple them is like, this is, you know, and, and that's, I think a message is good, but that takes real patience and discipline and commitment. Um, so I don't know. You know, I think what has been interesting and you hear, I hear this a lot is that the reason that young people especially haven't come back to or come to our churches is because basically we haven't really been talking about the poor or talking about Mm -hmm. these various issues. There might be some truth to that. I don't want to discount that. But I also struggle with that because one there are lots of churches that do. That doesn't necessarily mean that there are bringing in people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if I may jump in here, Dennis, I, I think again, this goes back to, he gets us and the, the genius of that marketing campaign is it's, it's hitting people where they're at. And again, I, you know, one critique I saw on Twitter was like, some of the images were from, a, you know, a Black Lives Matter um, event. I don't know. That's what I read. And the, the critique being, well, gosh, that's not hate. That's, you know, again, yes, those are fair critiques. But broadly speaking, the, the random person who's going to observe those and see like, boy, this, I see that. Like, I see all this, whatever adjective we want to use, like. It's gonna. It, it speaks to the, the kind of 
skeptical. And again, speaking of a target demographic, their target demographic is like the the open skeptic type person. They're going to see this, this be like, boy, yeah, this is what I see too in the world. Jesus, Jesus gets that. Like it speaks to their story. Um, and you know, like you said, perhaps we could say, you know, a more, uh, a true faithful telling of the gospel is like this constant preaching good news to the poor. Yes, I believe that. Um, but also like, I think you're going to have a hard time getting a lot of, again, going back to my classic suburbanite, like when the classic suburbanites, like, man, I'm struggling to pay my mortgage. Like, my utilities and gas bill had just been through the roof. Like they're not like, you're not getting a lot of sympathy from me. Like I'm struggling to pay my bills here too, kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. and again, I think that's where discipleship comes in where it's like, Hey, this, this is, you know, our task is to be like, not just care about ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, Hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I think it does. And and I think I think to get people to, to get into those deeper questions, you have to start to where they're at. Right. Right. And um again, it's it's the same problem. It's like we want to jump to step four. Right. When we've and then just skip one, two, and three. Right. And I think I think one of the problems, especially among progressive Christians as of late, is that for the most part, we've forgotten the personal. Yeah. I mean, we talk a lot about the public, and I think that that's important. But we've forgotten about people. We've forgotten Mm -hmm. about the person, um, that there are people that are struggling, that there are people that have questions that wonder is this all that there is for life mm-hmm. um it's somehow we've we've made it positions instead of people and mm-hmm. i don't and again, know again that reminds me of my baptist roots fundamental mm-hmm. positions not people and i came to whatever we want to call this I left fundamentals because I wanted to believe in people, not positions. So Mm -hmm. this is why this, you know, resonates with me strongly. Forgive me for jumping in there. No, no, that's okay. I guess one other thing that I have a question I have for you is what these two events and and the reactions that we've seen, what has it made you think of or about your overall view of mainline progressive Christianity as a whole these days, because I feel, and you know, I, I've always been a little bit more out of sync, but from the rest, um, even though I'm in this camp, but I've been very dejected Hmm. about the response from the last, these two events in the last week. Um, it's really in a way that I haven't been before. Um, it it just kind of is depressing. 
Yeah. To me. So I'm, I'm kind of curious where, where are your thoughts on this? Yeah. Similar emotions for sure. Kind of just perplexment, if that's a word, you know, a feeling of per- being perplexed. So like, what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> I'm just kind of like, you know, again, I understand, like, I understand hobby, you know, the funding for he gets this comes from some unsavory sources. Um, and if they want to like, if they want to really drive people into, you know, if the kind of like the, the, the sales funnel to use again, a business word of capturing people was driving them into a real like Christian nationalist. And I'm sure like if you get down the line, these churches, that they're funneling people to do have some Christian nationalist tendencies. But from what I'm seeing on the initial step, it's like, get into the Bible, read the stories of Jesus. Like that's a good thing. I, again, and maybe this speaks to your transcendence imminence thing. It's like, I believe in the power of scripture to, to radicalize and revolutionize. Um, so yeah, I'm, perplexed and I think disappointed like you of I think we're on the same team here to say it's to say it um I don't know if you're familiar with uh or imagine you're somewhat familiar with Simon Sinek he mm-hmm. writes in his infinite in his book infinite games about seeing people as a worthy rival rather than you know an antagonist and I just wonder like what if mainliners saw evangelicalism not as the enemy or someone who's completely doing it all wrong, but as a worthy rival where we might learn from and even gasp in some circumstances emulate. Um, And frankly, I think on a more practical level, like evangelicalism writ large is too big of, they're not really compatible. I think Anglicanism, and again, I know it's a loaded conversation there. Anglo- the Anglican movement in America is um, very controversial, again, mo- among mainliners. But practically speaking, like they seem to be doing what, very well at attracting young people while maintaining a, um, a traditional liturgical style of worship, which, again, kind of speaks to the mainline milieu of we have these traditional worship styles, yet we're not attracting young people there's this whole movement of churches that have a similar style of worship and are attracting young people. Like might there be something to learn from or emulate from them Mm -hmm. rather than just writing them off as the enemy or doing it all wrong. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I've never tried to see evangelicals as the enemy partially because that's the culture I came out of. Yeah. Um, and I've also been willing, to, I want to say that there are still good things from that tradition and not just immediately see everything as bad and evil. And mm-hmm. um, I think maybe that's the other problem is that in in these two issues is that I don't sense a, a, a humility, yeah, um, a willingness to learn or a willingness to maybe to understand right, um, or even a, a curiosity of – yeah. You're yeah. learning, you know, a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, 
maybe it goes to like I I know evangelical people. I still interact with folks who are firmly encamped in evangelicalism and fundamentalism from my parents and in-laws on a regular basis. So like I see their heart, like, you know, I see my dad's heart to, to transform, see lives transformed and to care for them in a material fashion. Still like, do I like secretly toss away books he buys occasionally? (laughs) I mean, absolutely. Cause I'm his son and I'm not going to let him like, Keep it in that D'Souza book that someone gave him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean, it's it's not all perfect, but I think I don't. I just I get nervous writing off groups of people. Mm-hmm. So I agree. I, I partially because, at least from what I've learned, writing off groups of people is not good. Yeah. That's yeah. not the way that we should be doing things. And um, I worry at times that we have, I worry that we are not willing to, to kind of listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, that's probably not the case of everyone. Right. Um, right. And of course, you know, social media is not every, everybody. Right. But, yeah. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, the people who are are kind of criticizing also are people that have some influence, and that's right. also not good. And you know what I would long, especially for our tradition, is that we one would be better of telling a story. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But I also really just wish that we would actually. I don't know fall in love with Jesus. Yeah. I just don't feel like we are. Yeah. I preached this, uh, Dennis, when was it? It was the, um, the Magi text. And I don't know how well I preached it. Cause I wasn't feeling super hot. That was actually the weekend before a weekend before a couple weeks before, you know, my wife got real sick. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of on the leading edges of a sickness that we were sharing she took it on the chin, certainly more than me. Um, but I tried to preach something on the Magi text from that perspective being like, you know, asking the question, is Jesus enough? And that really, that question kind of struck me like in mainline context, is Jesus enough? Hmm. Um, I don't know how well I preached it cause I wasn't feeling well, but that was the theme that I really was trying to hit is, is Jesus enough? That really kind of hit me as I was working on that text. Do you think that in mainline churches, we don't think that Jesus is enough? I mean, sometimes, yeah. And, yeah, I I don't know. I just, that, for some reason, you know, looking at that text and, and the, I think I was, you know, I read something out of the Feasting of the Word commentary about, you know, the, it was again the the magi text and and the the commentator was saying something to the point of like the point of the story isn't about the magi or the gifts or the star that they're all pointing to Jesus and you know like maybe I'm being too unfair here but I I sometimes wonder like if we didn't have you know you know all these 
efforts and issues and, and, and causes in mainline church, would Jesus be enough? I don't know. And, 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 and more broadly speaking, like, you know, maybe we wouldn't really have Jesus if we didn't have those causes. I don't, I don't know, but I, you know, I, I growing up, um, growing up how I did, I think I'm still certainly in the, the team Jesus camp, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I sometimes wonder if, if Jesus is a means to an end, mm. that's about it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I sometimes wonder. And I mean, then, you know, certainly we all do that. I was, oh, oh yeah. Listening to a, you know, listening to a bit to a, a, a topic on a, a podcast yesterday on men's ministry. And it certainly sounded like, you know, uh, Jesus was a means to masculizing, hyper toxic, masculizing men and, and training up, you know, uh, QAnon adjacent type folks. So we all do that. We all do that oh, for God, sure. Yeah, we do. I think that's the challenge, right. Of, I, I, again, kind of what you said, the necessity for humility and curiosity within ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I know that we both have things to do for the uh, today, and um, but this was a good discussion um, on this issue. I hope that we can kind of do this again, um, probably on another issue. Um, but I do want to thank you, Lauren, for kind of being a time, uh, uh, basically offering a time just kind of to sound this out. Um, yeah. so it's good to know I'm not going crazy. Right. <laughs> so, right. So, right. We're kind of our own support group. So thanks, Dennis. All right. Take care. you for um taking the time to listen to this um my discussion with lauren on uh he gets us in the asbury revival um and like i said there will be some um extra resources um in the show notes so i hope that you will um take note of that and i do want to conclude with just one comment i mean i commented a lot during this episode but um, and it's just simply this is that I get it. I get that people are wary, if not cynical, um, because I think there's been obviously a lot of honest hurt, um, especially in maybe evangelical churches. So I understand that. But I also understand, at least, have come to believe that as much as I don't want people to judge me simply 
because I'm African-American or because I'm gay, I don't want to judge someone simply because of their religious belief or theology. I want to let, let them speak. I want to know them and get to know who they are before I decide to make a judgment call. And I worry sometimes in our culture, and especially in mainline and progressive circles, that as much as we talk about tolerance, we're not always tolerant of those who are different from us theologically. And I'm not asking that we suspend or not or ignore problems um, out there. But I do think that we need to be open. And we also need to be open to the fact that God speaks in different ways. And sometimes God speaks to people that we don't always agree with. And so we have to be open to that. That's just kind of where I'm from. And you can take it or leave it. But I would actually love to hear what you're thinking. And you can drop me a line send an email um, to church in Maine, all one word at substack.com. Um, and then check us out um, at the website. Is that church and Maine, all one word dot substack.com. Or you can also go to church and Maine, all one word dot org. Um, so that's it for this episode. This is episode one thirty of church in Maine, the podcast that is at the intersection of faith and modern life. I am Dennis Sanders, your host. Take every take care, everyone. Godspeed, and I will see you very soon. <laughs>